to The Range Brief with Blackwing. We are your hosts, Jed McLean and Mark Gore. Jed, what are we talking about today? Mark, today we're going to cover Ohio hunting, how to obtain a license, and the wonderful game options that are out there for us to pursue in the state. Awesome. So Jed is our resident hunting expert at Blackwing. Jed, give us uh, what you do at Blackwing and then what is your experience with hunting? So I'm the buyer at Blackwing Shooting Center. I've been with the shop now for eight years and uh, I have I have spent many, many wonderful years and, and a lot of time of my life that my wife will testify to as well, uh, hunting and pursuing game in the state of Ohio. Awesome. Yeah. And and what um, what game do you typically hunt? What's your what's your jam? Deer and pheasant are my jam. Those those are the okay. two that really get me going. Um we do a little bit of squirrel hunting, a little bit of rabbit, but uh, the deer and the pheasants, man, that's for me, that's where it's at. But uh, you've got a little experience hunting as well, don't you? Yeah. So uh, similar deer and, and some pheasant, mostly deer hunting, but not near to the level. I'm kind of, uh, you know, maybe gone hunting 20 times and Jed goes hunting 20 times in a month kind of thing so it's not far off <laughs> uh, yeah so that's kind of the, the difference and uh jed's experience is, is quite a bit further here but I've, I've done that as well as some other a little bit of waterfowl uh quite a bit of pest hunting all the every week it seems like there's a new animal trying to tear into my house so raccoons squirrels i feel like we could make a horror movie from yeah. that, from the pest you've had to defend Absolutely. your homestead from bats recently there's, i don't think there's a bat season but i have uh, had to take care of a couple of those Shotgun in the house works great. <laughs> um, okay, so so in Ohio, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're going to focus here, just because it's fairly state specific, and we're going to talk about for the average person, for someone who hasn't hunted before. So a lot of people get into hunting as you know as a mentored sport. They have someone, uh, you know, a family member or a friend or someone they know who's going to take them hunting and, and show them the ropes. And that's a great thing about hunters is hunters are happy to teach other people and get other people into the sport. But some people don't have that or some people want to learn it on their own. So if you want to go hunting, we're going to talk about what does that look like? Um, what is what does a hunt look like? You know, we're going to talk really we're going to focus kind of on deer and and then upland bird like pheasant, dove, grouse, that kind of thing. A lot of other hunting you can do squirrels, ducks, a lot of waterfowl hunting, turkey, uh, a lot of other topics, we just don't have the time to hit them all. So we're kind of picking the the popular ones, and also they happen to be the ones that we are more familiar with. So we're gonna we're gonna go through those in Ohio, Jed. You know, what would you say that what's the most popular hunting? I I would venture to say that deer is by far. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the one that uh, the out of towners know. There's guys in New York and Pennsylvania, North Carolina, the sure. out of state hunters. They know us for the deer population and the deer the deer hunting that the state of Ohio offers. Awesome, yeah. So yeah, it'll be a big focus for us today, as that's a, a huge percentage. Of what our our customer base too is that's a lot of what they what they go after. So we'll just start with this, Jed. What is it? What does a hunt look like for average person that's getting started um, for their first hunt or, or the first handful of hunts? What does that look like for a deer hunt? 
So for the deer hunter, uh, that, that first bit is the prep work in the off season, uh, where you're going to be hunting the location, whether you want to do it from a stand, whether you're going to run a ground blind, uh, pop up blinds, what have you, and kind of setting, setting up that, you know, getting, getting yourself ready for success. Um, then the t- typical morning, you know, a lot of it is going to be the, the early risers, that four or 5 a.m. Uh, upstart when the alarm's going off and, and you throw it across the room, sure. getting that morning coffee going. Yep. Um, highly recommend. Uh, even to the seasoned veterans, it's always great to have the gear and everything prepped the night before when you're, when, you know, you're pumped and excited for it and you've got the time to go through it versus scrambling at four 30 in the morning to, to find your boots or find what you did with your hunting knife. Sure. Uh, you know, getting out there early in that morning, you know, hour, two hours, 30 minutes before the sunrise, getting situated in your stand or your blind, um, kind of letting the woods calm back down working your way in there and then watching that sunrise waiting waiting for it to come up and the woods to come to life um i would say a vast majority of hunters that that i've had experience and and uh time around will run that first morning first you know four or five hours you know that's including the hour hour before they're in you know before sunrise uh you get to you get shooting light 30 minutes before sunrise you get shooting uh until 30 minutes after sunset so you know those guys are going to be in there an hour before that 30 minute window opens and kind yep. of get nestled in time yeah you know and then they'll spend four or five hours in the stand or in the blind you know hanging out a lot of hurry up and wait um and then most of them will roll in for that that noon lunch you know coming in out of the woods at 10 10 30 11 12 what have you and they might be out of the woods a couple hours and then that you know early afternoon you know one two o'clock some of them as late as three coming back in for that late evening set you know deer deer are most active dusk and dawn you know you're catching them in the early dawn hours coming out from their you know night on the town so to speak and everything they've been out doing coming in for that quick bite headed for their beds and then in the late afternoons early evenings you're catching them as they're waking up they're going for that food and water source or what have you getting ready to bounce across the traffic and scare everybody half to death for the next few hours in the in the darkness so um you, you get a nice little split, you know, um, now there, there are dedicated guys that will, that, that, that hunt, especially in the rut. Um, as you get into deer hunting, you are bound to hear about the rut. That's when the woods are wild and hot and heavy and they're moving and all times of the day the deer mating season the deer mating season you know that's that's when you catch those those rascally bucks slipping up and yeah, uh kind of breaking their habits and chasing those does down and, and not quite paying attention how they how they normally would you know sure. you got an animal that survived you know four five ten years what have you in, in extreme circumstances that long for an animal to survive in a wild condition like that they're smart I mean, they, they've, they've got patterns. They know what pressure's there. They know when they're getting bothered. So the rut's that great time where you can catch them slipping and, and you spend that whole day, you know, nestled up there. But, you know, depending on how far you want to go with it, it never hurts regardless of how long you're going to be in the stand. Have a bottle or two of water with you and a couple snacks. Highly recommend apples. You might entice one in as you're yeah. enjoying your morning snack. So, yeah, so, I mean, the basically you're you're sitting in the stand set up you're going to be quiet and relatively still and then as you know on the way here you were you were talking about you are scanning looking for movement as opposed to looking for you're not looking for a deer you're looking for something moving because that makes it much easier to see right than actually looking for like a deer body 
Yeah, and and that's kind of what they're doing themselves. You know, they're they're not out there looking for Mark Gore in a tree stand with a bow right now. Uh, What they're looking for is is, that tree doesn't look quite like it should, or what's that blob kind of moving? And it's it's the same thing for us. You know, I mean, we're we're set up like a predator. We are predators. Um, You know, the way our eyes and senses and everything work with it. You're you're looking for that movement along, and that's that's the stuff that'll that'll flash. Uh, their natural camo is unbelievable, yeah, and how well it works. Um, their biggest weakness is snow, yeah, <laughs> because they stick out like sore thumbs. Yep. Um, well, still kind of hard to though sometimes see. Yeah, uh, especially you know hard wood lines, big brush lines. It's crazy that a, that a, that a creature that you're looking at, you're going, it's it's brown with a little bit of black on it and white on the chest. How hard could it be to see in the woods? It's unreal how well that camouflage works yeah. against dead brush or dead trees and fallen leaves when they lay down. You know, uh, wonderful creatures. I mean, it's amazing how well they are adapted. And you're you're trying to beat that. You're trying to beat eyesight. You're trying to beat the nose. You're trying watch your noise i mean these these guys the the hearing's good their ability to smell is unreal i mean they they can pinpoint you or hit that trail on you and know hey there's something here so a lot of things to consider with it but i mean it's it's a really really wonderful experience when you realize what you're actually going against and and trying to outsmart and outthink and outmaneuver yeah, so don't pee by your stand. If you pee by your stand, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Um, but yeah, so you're, so you're sitting in the stand and you're scanning, looking for movement. Most people are going to have a pair of binoculars. But it, I mean, if you're looking through a pair of binoculars and you're looking for a deer, it's a lot harder than if you're looking for things that are moving like Jed was talking about. So you see some movement, so you see some movement, and it's a it's two or three doe come in from the, the left side. So... You know, you got the you got the doe coming in. You get something within range. You know, you want to be able to take a shot that you know you can have a high likelihood of of, of hitting and and killing the animal. You take the shot, and the deer it bolts, which happens a lot of the time. Uh, if you're using a big caliber, you have a really good hit. Um, you might have you might be lucky and have the deer just flop right over. But if it if it takes off, you get a good hit, but it takes off. Now what? What do you do? The first thing, breathe. Let that adrenaline work because because I've, you know, I have hunted now for twenty plus years, and I still get the adrenaline with it. Yeah, Um, you know, not as high as it used to be, but it's still there. Uh, First thing is breathe, relax, take take a minute, um, pay close attention and detail to where that animal was when you took the shot. And where's the last place you saw it? You know, when when it goes and you pop that shot, follow it. You know, watch it with your eyes. You know, it, it okay, I, I'm looking and I'm seeing it and it looks like it went 40 yards down because I know that spot's marked. And then it jumped that brush pile and then it went on and then I saw it go over the hillside. You know, have an idea of where at that spot at that hillside it went over. And mm-hmm. again, you want to know where you took the shot at, too. Those two frame of reference points are key for the track to start with it. And then give yourself the time in the stand. Kind of 
take that mental picture back through your head. Okay, I know I put it on the shoulder or I know I was aiming for the heart, but I think I might have flinched or did I flinch? Work yourself through that. Talk yourself through it. Um, Where you hit them depends on how long you essentially should stay back. You know, my go-to is 45 minutes. I make a shot regardless whether I think it was dead on the money or if I might have been a hair back and maybe it was a liver, I give at least 45 minutes. Um, you're trying to avoid getting down and spooking them up too early and getting them bolting and running. Uh, it's crazy how strong these animals are and how much they can take and keep going and keep pushing. Um, so, you know, you've given it the hour. You come down and, you know, the first place you want to go is where you took the shot at. You're looking for the blood. You're looking for hair. What colors the blood if you find it? What's the hair look like? If it's a lot of brown, cool. If it's a lot of white, ugh, you know, did, did, I, did I get lower in the belly oh, yeah. than I thought I did? You know, is the blood dark? You know, oh, that might be a liver shot. Or is it pink and frothy? Hey, that looks like a double lung shot. You know, is there chunks of you know, dark red and splotchy? Hey, am I got a, you know, a heart? And that might be a piece of it there. Yeah. You know, those that scene's going to tell you a lot. And then from there, it's following that track and trail, you know. Um, fortunately, it's it's not always a Sherman Williams red paint can running through the forest yeah. that you yep. can follow blind. You know, I've been on my hands and knees before looking through pine needles for a drop of blood. Like, okay, it went this way. Um, flashlights helpful here. Flashlights are great. Um, worst case scenario, a dog. There, there are, there are numerous hunters in the state, uh, and services out there that are provided by guys and gals within the state that run track dogs. You know, if you know, you got a good hit and you're confident in it, sometimes things happen. You know, I mean, I've, I've shot deer before that were great shots that, it got over by the bank and it packed itself full of mud and it wallered in it and I've lost the blood trail and they keep going, you know, track dogs can be fantastic to find them. Yeah. A little bit harder to do, uh, maybe a more advanced technique, but, uh, yeah. So, so you track, you track the animal and, you know, again, the concern, like Jed was talking about, you want to make sure to wait is it might bolt and go to a different property or again, or it could bolt and run into you. And that's a big animal. So I yeah. like to avoid that. So you, you found the animal and, you know, if it's still alive, you need to make sure to, you know, finish the kill. You have another shot or whatever you need to do. And, you know, once you've, you've tracked it down and it's, it's dead. Now we need to figure out how we're going to get it out of here and how to get it to the processor, which is most, what most people are going to do. So first thing you do, the key thing is to field dress the deer and that's to get all the, the guts and the stuff out of it. The entrails. Right? entrails. So, <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about exactly how to do that. You know, definitely would recommend watching a video before you're out in that situation just to be a little prepared. But uh, essentially, you're just going to cut down kind of like the midline, like rib line, um, and then pull out the stomach, the liver, all that stuff. And you you need to get that out or else it's it just it spoils the meat. You want to get all that stuff out of there. Um and then, and then you're going to haul that off to your vehicle to get it off to a processor who is going to take that animal in and, and get the meat off of the, the animal. So, you know, if you got an ATV, if you got to drag it yourself, you call out a buddy to come help you drag it out, um, something like that. But you get it to your car, and then what well, we've got to check and we've got to process, right? So walk us through that. Yeah, well, yeah. so you've got your animal. Um, you got it recovered. you got the field dress going. Uh, you will want to get your check done. 
Um, you can do that by calling in. Uh, this DNR provides a phone number that you can call in, give them all your information and your tag number, and they'll, they'll give you back a number to put onto your tag. Uh, or you can do it online. The online one's a great option because you can always go back to it later, and they'll also send you an email confirmation, uh, which is wonderful to have that the check's gone through. And you have to have that done before you get on the road or before you get to the check station. Or, or you the will want to do that before you really before you start moving that deer out. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to make sure you, you've got it, um, cleared up. It keeps you whole with the state. Yeah. You found it, you recovered it, you field dressed it. If you can, and you got the service, go ahead, it punch it in, get it done and get that number because you'll need that control number that they're going to give you to give to the processors. The processors won't take an animal that hasn't been checked in. Okay, great. So and, yeah. And then you take it to the processor and, and I guess the I guess we skipped over the tagging portion or the check-in portion of that. The reason for that is the the state or the ODNR, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, tracks the animals, a lot of different animals in Ohio and the population. And hunting is a way to manage that population size. So if there's too many deer and they're seeing a lot of, you know, vehicle accidents and things like that, and they want to call that population they increase the season or increase the limits or, or things like that is how they do it. So by that's why they require you to let them know. So they know, Hey, that's one less deer out there, but they're getting, you know, hundreds of these, uh, probably a minute. So, uh, so you check that deer and then you take it to the processor and you know, that's what most people are going to do. And, and what's that kind of look like, I guess. Your, your processing check um, will vary just a little bit, but the process from, from the processes that I've used is, is almost identical. You're going to roll up. You're going to let them know, hey, I'm here with a deer. Um, depending on the size of the processor, uh, sometimes they'll have a staging area where you'll come in, give them all your info. They'll go through, hey, do you want steaks? Do you want boneless chops? Do you want roast? Do you want it all turned into hamburger? Do you want all summer sausage or, you know, the famous deer jerky? You know, some of these guys offer so many services. They're one-stop shop. You drop yep. that thing yep. off, you tell them, you know, hey, turn this entire deer into as many rolls of hot pepper deer cheese as you can, <laughs> and they'll they'll go to work for you. Um, you know, some of the guys are going to be a little simpler. They're going to offer hamburger, steaks, and roasts. Um, and it's, it's a preference thing. You know, I know guys that they jerky a whole deer or they want the back strap and then turn the rest of it to hamburger. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of preference. Um, beef fat ad is a very, very popular option because this is a very, very good meat, but it's also a very lean meat. Um, it's not like cooking, you know, 80, 20 or even 90, 10 hamburger. Sure. You know, this stuff is super lean and, it, and it's great, but you know, adding beef fat to it helps with them. Um, you know, your steaks aren't going to be the size of what you would expect, you know, a porterhouse or a T-bone or a big ribeye from Texas Roadhouse to be. They're, they're going to yeah. be a little smaller, more compact. Um, but uh, the processors will get everything taken care of, um, depending on what you're getting. Uh, you know, as quick as two weeks, as long as a month to get the, to get the animal back. Uh, but they will have it cut and ready for you. Uh, most of these guys are now vacuum sealing, which is fantastic, especially when it's going in the freezer. And yeah. I'd say you know, 99.9% of these guys are already freezing it for you. Yep. So, I mean, it's, they'll, they'll send you an email or give you a call or send you a postcard and let you know this thing's ready to rock and roll. You go pay up your balance. They give it to you. It's all ready to rock and roll. It's labeled out, take it home and start enjoying it. Awesome. Yeah. And then that's when you got the dream, right? You got good self, self-harvested, lean, healthy, 
wild game meat to eat. Yeah. You know, kind of yourself, feed your family, your friends, whatever you want. So get your get your frontiersmen on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we did we did the deer. Now let's talk about a pheasant hunt. So you want to go shoot pheasant or an upland bird, but we can do pheasant as an example. And we're going to kind of stick with these um, these two as the kind of theme for the 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 episode here. So t- walk us through a pheasant hunt for someone that's kind of getting going. What, what's a good way to get into that? So a, a fantastic way to get into pheasant hunting to start with um, is to work with a game preserve. Um, there's there's several in in our area. There's there's multiple throughout the state. Um, these these guys are going to be self sufficient operations. You're not going to need a hunting license for it. You're going to contact them. They raise their own birds or they supply their own birds for it. They have dedicated fields for this. They work with guys that have dogs. You'll have a dog handler and guide with you on this hunt. Um, and it's a fantastic thing to do with the family or do with your friends. Um, get a couple guys together or a couple guys and gals from the office. Go set a date. Get out there and give this a shot. It's a wonderful, wonderful sport that that is providing a great bit of meat i mean i'd take pheasant over a chicken in a heartbeat yeah um but you know you you get with that group you get with these organizations they're going to set you up they're going to walk you through everything they'll give you the instruction hey we allow this you know we allow shotguns in 12 and 20 you you got to use seven and a half or smaller shot with us and they'll walk you through all that they'll get you set up um you're going to be traverse you know you're going to be walking through these fields and sorghum and corn depending on how their layups are you want good sturdy pants you want a nice pair of walking boots, you know, a nice sturdy jacket that can take some beating from the brush and then get out and, and, and uh, they'll get you set up in the fields. And what's that, what's that look like? So you're out with a guide and a dog, right? And yeah, so you, you're going to get it. You're going to get this uh, set up. You know, they're, they're going to assign you field one and field one is cut corn and sorghum. And the guide's going to go through everything with you. You're going to get a safety brief before, Hey, you know, you know, you two are going to be on my left and right. You two are going to be, you know, directly in front of me. This is your shooting window. Shooter B, this is your window. Shooter C, this is your window. These guys are very, very safety conscious because you've got two to four, up to eight people in this field with shotguns. Yep. You know, you've got one to two dogs that are out here in this field working. So safety is paramount, and these guys are excellent with this. And they're going to get you up They're You know, you're going to have shooter one, shooter two, shooter three, shooter four, the guides going, you know, and then they're going to cut the dogs loose. Uh, the most common thing you're going to see is the pointers. Now uh, that dog's going to be out there working the field, running up and down, looking for that bird, finding where he's hiding. And when they find him and those dogs stop and lock up on a dime tail goes stiff, they start pointing, letting, letting the dog handler know, Hey, I got one right yep. here. Um, then from that point, some, some hunters will run two dogs. They'll run a pointer and a flusher. Some guys will just run pointers. Uh, some guys will just run flushers. But once that bird's been pinpointed, uh, usually the guide will get up in there, or if he might be a little off, he might say, you know, hey, shooter three, come on over here, kick this pile of sorghum, let this bird get up in the air. You know, um, you got a dog on the ground. You don't want to shoot these birds on the ground. Let them get up in the air. Let them get 10, 15 feet up off the deck where you're not, then you don't have to worry about the dog in a line of sight. Get them going, and then it's off to the races. You know, birds up in the air. Uh, A lot of these guys will usually say, hey, you know, shooter two, it's your bird. Shooter one, because of the way he's standing, it's coming to you. 
So pay attention. If he doesn't get it on that first or second shot, when it breaks into your shooting zone, have at it and and go. Um, great thing with the preserves too is these these guys are are raising and handling their own birds. So you know going into this field, you know if there's four of you and you bought four birds apiece, there's 16 birds in this field that have been set out. You don't know where they are. They could be running up and down the rows. They could have already gone to the trees. Um, so you, you got an idea that where they are. And then the dogs start working and, and doing their thing. The other great thing, too, is these guys don't go out and recapture these birds when it's done. So you might buy 16 birds, but there might be 15 because the European shoot on the other side of the field didn't have any luck and everything got. So, I mean, it's it's fast. It's exciting. Even if even to go on one, it's worth to go and not hunt and just watch the dogs. I yeah. mean, they love this and, and watching them work, uh, whether it's Brittany's, whether it's German short-haired pointers, these dogs are unbelievable in the training and skill they have. And I mean, they could be running full bore up a cornrow and it's crazy to watch this dog hit on a dime and stop and turn and be like, bird. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you gotta be kidding me. I never saw that in my life. <laughs> I'd walked up and down it three times. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's neat. We went about a year ago, a few people from the, the shop and it, similar to how Jed described, you know, there's four of us in a line, you had a, a handler and a dog and he actually swapped dogs out throughout the day. Cause they'd get tired. It was hot outside and the dogs are working, but yeah, you're, you know, you're walking through a field they call like pushing a field. And, uh, it's just a blast, you know, you, you flush a pheasant and then it's, sometimes it's flying across multiple shooters. You each have your own zone. So you might have, you know, a couple people actually shooting at it, or maybe everyone shoots at it as it's flying. Cause everyone's missing, uh, <laughs> as it flies across the whole group, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, a lot of excitement and, you know, it's a, uh, it's a great experience. Okay. So now we've gone through what it looks like to go out on a deer hunt or a pheasant hunt. Let's talk a little bit about uh, hunting licenses. We talked about briefly before, but I'm, you know, I'm going to go deer hunting. What do I, what do I need hunting license wise? So the first thing Martha, you would need is your resident adult hunting license. Uh, this is going to be the license that's going to let you hunt the small game. This is going to get you set and ready to be able to hunt the upland birds. Um, it's going to let you hunt rabbits, squirrels, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, from there, you're going to need a deer permit from the state as well. So you've got your hunting license, which allows you to hunt. And then the deer permit is what's specifically allowing you to target deer. Um, Ohio, we usually offer them in two different formats. You'll have antlerless only tags or conservation tags that they've done. They've changed the name a couple times over the years. These tags are usually antlerless only, and they're only good for the early archery season. You know, usually they end the week of or the week before deer gun. Um, your either sex permit is going to enable you to hunt antlered or antlerless deer. Um, it's a little more expensive than your straight antlerless permit, but that tag is good throughout the whole spectrum of the season. Okay, sure. And then on the pheasant hunting side, I know we talked about um, if you're hunting on a preserve, you don't need the license, but if you're going to hunt on public land pheasant, a little bit harder for a beginner to do because you typically do want a dog and dogs aren't easy to train or, you know, it's kind of hard to, to bring out a guide with you on public land. You might be better off just going to preserve, but if you are going to hunt on public land, you're still going to need that hunting license, right? You will still need the hunting license. That's that again. That's going to enable you to get after the upland game, your squirrels, your grouse, rabbits, pheasants, fox, raccoons, skunks, that kind of stuff. You know, the, the sure. small little guys. Yep. We'll say um, 
and you know the public land hunting bit um ohio does offer uh pheasant releases unfortunately the state's not in a position that we have a population that is continually self-sustaining so they do releases um those are fast normally when they announce the release you get everybody and their brother that has a dog that wants to do it out there on these on these stretches of property a big heyday 30 and 40 deep trying to navigate fields and trying to kill everything okay let's talk seasons then so what what does deer season look like for for ohio so ohio's deer season breaks out into archery gun and muzzleloader archery is your big boy this is the one that gives you the most time span to be in the woods to get after these guys usually starts in late september rolls into early november again biggest stretch this is the one that's going to give you the most opportunity to get out but also have the most changes as the season changes their pattern is going to change with it ohio gun season is uh, the first monday following thanksgiving at least it has been and every year that i've hunted i haven't seen them change it uh first monday following thanksgiving to the following sunday that's the big week that's that's the orange army as they call it descends on the state of ohio both local and and non-resident and everybody and their brothers getting out there and and getting after it again that's only usually seven day season okay yeah off and on over the years, Ohio's offered an extended gun, which is usually a weekend, Saturday, Sunday in December. So that gives you an extra chance to get out there with the, the center fire guns and uh, get another chance to hunt, get a couple week break coming off the season. You yeah. won't get as many hunters in the woods, especially the non-resident population on the extended gun. And then the last gun opportunity the state gives us is muzzle loader, which is usually late December, early January for three to four days. Okay, sure. So yeah, archery, a good way to do it to give you lots of opportunity. But the gun season is is probably how a lot of people enter the sport by just because it's, you know, at least our audience here, probably a lot of gun people already. So that makes it a lot easier to, to get in. It's just a tighter window. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk equipment. Um, eh, let's just let's hit bow first. So on the archery side, um, what do you typically see and what do, what do beginners typically run if they're going to, if they're going to do archery? Most beginners I would say are going to either favor the crossbow or the compound bow. Um, the wonderful thing about the crossbows, they're a buy on Friday, sight in Friday night, hunt with on Saturday kind of option. They're going to handle a lot like a gun. You'll have a cocking sequence to lock them. They'll fire a bolt, aluminum or carbon. And again, you're going to get more of that gun feel behind it. It's going to have a trigger. Most of them are going to have an optic, whether it's a red dot or a fixed four power scope. Um, your compound bows probably going to follow it if it doesn't if it doesn't have more hunters behind it. Compounds are great. They're lightweight. You're not packing the weight that you are with a crossbow. Uh, but the compounds take practice. You know the long bows and the recurves take practice. Uh, the guys that are hunting effectively with those spend the spring summer and fall practicing for them sure um you know the crossbow is a nice thing you know if you keep uh keep wax on the string and make sure your arrows and everything and your tracks clean on it cock that thing in september and a couple test shots to make sure your zero is good then off to the off to the tree stand you go yeah absolutely uh and then the gun side is a little bit different so in Ohio and some other states, they restrict the cartridges you can use. So you can use shotguns, it's like slugs and shotguns, or you can use straight wall cartridges, 
you can't use the necked cartridges that a lot of rifle shooters are used to, like a two two three or a three oh eight. Um, Ohio kind of limited that, restricted that, just to reduce the over travel of a bullet. So not wanting, given that we're a flatter state, bullets to travel thousands of yards beyond where it's intended to be. Uh, so they kind of restrict you to these, um, if you call it a lower power cartridge, but something that's not going to travel as far. So most popular, if you're just just getting into it, most people are going to buy like a 350 Legend or a 450 Bushmaster, which is a straight wall rifle cartridge that has a good good amount of power. But you can do a 10 millimeter in a handgun, 45 in a handgun. You can do um, 4570 in a, in a rifle. You can do shotgun slugs. Um, lots of options there for sure. Let's move on to kind of land choices, just so we can kind of hit hit a few different things here. Let's talk about public versus private land. So give me a run through that on, we kind of talked about it on the pheasant side, what that looks like. What about on the, the deer side? So so I, I want to get into hunting. I want to hunt. What does that look like if I have land or have access to land versus if I need to go find land? How do I do that? Private land is absolutely the way to go, in my opinion, if you have access to it. You control you can control more factors behind it. How much hunting pressure is there when you're coming in and out of the land, what tree stands you have set up, what blinds you had to set up, whether you want to run cams, whether you want to bait so much, so many more options and things that you can control. Public land has its great, great benefits too. You get larger scopes you, of, of land. So you're going to have more opportunities, you know, essentially, you know, if you, Hunt Wayne National, which is down in southeast Ohio, which is the big public land that's in the state of Ohio. Uh, you're talking hundreds of thousands of acres, which is hundreds of thousands of opportunities to harvest sure. yeah. on. Um, but there's downsides to the public land. There's other hunters um, that you're going to run into. There's four wheelers that you're going to run into. You know, yeah. part of Wayne National has trails on it. So you might have found a great spot to put your climber up for the day and you get up on there. And the next thing you know, here come 20 dirt bikes over the hillside as they're making their way yeah. through the trails. Um, so, you know, a lot of different things to consider with those. Private land, you can set your stands. You know, you can get a good scout. You know who's coming in and out in theory. You kind of get an idea of the population that's around your area, whether they're coming in more in the morning or they tend to only travel through in the late afternoon evenings. Sure. Um, public land, you can get some of that, but a lot more legwork because you never know, you know, how far someone's willing to walk. You know, someone could start in, in Longstreth, Ohio, and end up in the other side of Nelsonville five miles away sure. you know so a lot of a lot of other things but uh public land is is in where i grew up in the southeast is the most common thing that we, we would we would be on okay um it's also the again it's the largest bit that we have to work yeah. with um so yeah, pr- pu- public land you can just you can just go in you know if you look on the odnr website and you're good to hunt there you can just go in, right? Yeah, there's there's nothing extra that you need from it. Um, there are companies like AEP that have land leases that butt up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a process that you can contact AEP and get permission uh, and a slip from them to be able to go onto that land and go out and hunt. Um, Wayne National Forest in the state of Ohio, if you want to hunt it in the designated areas, you're good to go. You can park yeah. your vehicle in the designated area or off the roadside where it's not bothering anybody and head on in. 
Private land, on the other hand, if it's not land that you own, you need written permission. And I can't stress that enough. The state is very big on that. They love to catch people that haven't done their due diligence and don't have that written permission. You know, the you know a handshake isn't enough, according to them. You want to make sure you've got that written permission for private land. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about um, equipment and how that might vary. So I guess first you've got stands of blinds and climbers like Jed talked about. So you've got stands, which are probably typically more like permanent structures you might put up on private land. So it's got a ladder and then a, like a base that's 15 foot up a tree that you will sit on. You've got climbers, which are almost like a portable stand or a way to get up a tree temporarily, which is kind of a good option for public land because you can't really like set a stand out there and leave it. Um, and then you got blinds like uh, ground blinds. So it's just like a little pop-up tent almost that has windows you can shoot out of and that you could use on public or private. Um, you see that both uh, advantages is easy to set up, easy to move around. The downside is you're lower, you're on the ground level. So versus being up in a tree where you can, you're shooting down. So it gives you more, more reasonable shots and further distance to shoot. So you got kind of pros and cons there. Um, but what, what other equipment would you need? So you, you obviously need that. You need your, what you're going to use to take the deer, the gun or the bow, um, and have that set up and ready. But what else, what else, you know, do you really need to get started and getting out there? Uh, a knife, a good hunting knife mm-hmm. is, is a, is an invaluable tool for deer hunting or, or any hunting for that matter. Uh, field dressing is extremely common, yeah. whether, whether you're hunting turkey, you're hunting pheasants, you're hunting deer, you want to field dress them and, and get those entrails out and, and save as much of the meat as you can. Uh, so a, a good knife is absolutely paramount. Um, and a pocket knife will not do. Most pocket knives will not do. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. There's yeah. always an exception to the rule. Uh, I prefer a, a nice, strong fixed blade myself. Yep. Um, but there, there are some great options out there now. Uh, folding knives that that look like small camping axes. Yes. <laughs> There's definitely, definitely uh, a lot of options out there uh, to definitely coax into your into your flavor of life. Um, boots, nice good pair of boots is wonderful um especially if you're going to be hunting the conditions whether it's raining it's cold it's windy you want something to keep your feet warm uh something to keep your hands warm hot hands or the little the little zippo portable heaters are fantastic to be able to stick in a coat pocket and not catch the coat on fire yeah um a good coat always great um the archery guys a good face mask you know in the early season you want one that's lightweight in the later season you don't mind one that's a little heavier and thicker that's going to take that wind off your face and keep you warm i outfit myself with a wonderful beard that's why i'm <laughs> that's always prepared for the yep. cold uh, but you know uh the equipment uh drag line a good strong drag line is great it's like a rope uh, they yeah, use to drag the yeah, deer out nice nice sturdy rope that uh, has a little bit of flex to it, but is strong enough that you you know get a good grip and and get that out. Um, you know now four wheelers and, and gators and everything else that are out there now it's a little easier to pack them out. But uh, I still like having a good sturdy rope at least in the car if we need it. Sure, yeah. And then a flashlight. We talked about that earlier. That's that's key for getting in, getting out, getting um, tracking a deer. You know, just something you'll need. Yeah, flashlight, um, the headlamps. 
I, I would even take it a step further and say a headlamp yeah. is the way to go. That's when you're field dressing a deer and it's dark. Yeah, that's you, you like don't the only to, way to do it. Don't yeah. sit there with a surefire hanging out of your mouth like yeah. a big stogie <laughs> trying to hold it online. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so just to kind of catch a couple of things here before we wrap up the episode, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of etiquette and ethical shots. So you're shooting at a deer. I guess the quick and dirty is you're looking for – uh, you're looking for kind of like the, uh, what do you say, like midsection shot. I don't really know how to describe yeah, I, that. On I an would. Animal. It's going to be right. You're going to. You're going right. to be behind the shoulder, and I, you know, a little on the low side. I, I don't want to say you're too low, but I'd lower two thirds behind that shoulder. Uh, you're going for that double lung shot. You're going for that heart shot. Liver shots are effective, but sometimes they take a minute to bleed. So again, it gets back to that. If you think you've gotten a shot on the liver, the deer is going to expire, but it needs time to. So you got to you got to back off that track and and let them go at their own pace. Uh, but the heart and lungs, that's those the boiler maker system that's what we're going after yep uh to get that clean effective kill yeah make sure you look at look at that look at google what an image of a, of a deer's um you know system looks like and where to take that shot because it's important that you you know where to shoot it you've got your gun dialed in and you know your uh, you know where your gun's shooting, you know where your gun's shoot, hitting at 50 yards, at 100 yards, at 150 yards, wherever, whatever distances you feel like you might shoot at, and that you have a good idea when you're in a stand, kind of what distances, <clears throat> kind of like landmark out some spots, so you know what distance the deer is at. So you can have high confidence that you're going to be able to hit the deer in a kill zone area, because no hunter should be taking a shot that is is just like a you know, shot in the dark, really not even like a 50, 50, you know, you don't want to take an ass shot and hit him in the, hit him in the back end. You're, you're going to risk not taking that deer down. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky said you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Yeah. Um, and he's absolutely right, but let's not do that not in the sense deer. of ethics, uh, yeah. for the deer. You know, there's some, there's some fantastic targets out there from companies like Caldwell, yep. um, that are, you know, one, one replica size deer targets. And, you know, it's going to have that front half of the deer. It's going to have the head, it's going to have the shoulder. And then the target will have it mapped out to give you an idea. This is the position the heart normally stays in. This is the position of the lungs. And some of those targets will even have, you know, an outline drawing of the lungs and the heart and the liver. Um, Those are a great tool to start with. And then I would highly recommend use uh, you know, get some practice with that, get the idea, get it in your mind's eye that when you look at that deer, okay, this is the area that I need to be in for that heart or that double lung shot. And then use some of those targets too that are just the deer that are, that are more lifelike to the deer's natural pattern and how they lay that don't have the heart and lung and everything matched out and shoot some of those a few times and then compare the two, make sure that, you know, you've, you've got that overlay in your mind's eye that that is where the heart and lungs are. And that's where I need to concentrate those shots. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other big one is, and this is something that we all know as gun owners, but you really got to keep, keep at the front of your mind when you're hunting and when you're setting up your stands or where you're going to be shooting from is you, you're responsible for that bullet and where that goes and same with the arrow, but more importantly, the bullet. Uh, so you need to know what your, what your shot line is, what's beyond that. Are you, that's the beauty of shooting up and, and being up in a stand is you're shooting downwards at a deer, um, gives you a lot more likelihood that you're shooting right into the dirt. 
but you need to be very confident that your bullets, you need to be hundred percent confident that your bullets not going to be going through a house that's 200 yards past the brush line. Uh, you need to be very confident of, of what's behind what you're shooting at, just like in all kinds of shooting. A couple other things too, just kind of to hit to make sure I think we, we might not have hit wearing hunter orange. That is important if you are gun hunting and muzzleloader hunting. Yeah. So anything in the state of Ohio that involves deer and firearms, okay. you need the hunter safety orange. That even goes to the extreme that if you are an archery hunter and you are archery hunting during an Ohio gun or muzzleloader season, you need to be in solid orange and that apply or not solid orange but the hunter orange you need the hunter yeah. orange vest coat jacket or coveralls um and this requirement applies to both public and private lands if it's ohio deer season for a gunner muzzleloader you need to make sure that you've got that hunter safety orange awesome and trust me 20 plus years of doing this the deer don't care about the yeah. hunter orange <laughs> yep. you're not hurting your chances uh you're you're just you're being as safe we all want to be as safe as we can uh you know i think the goal for every deer hunter is is to be able to add another one to the freezer and and you know if we're lucky enough and we're good and we've done our prep work add something with a great set of antlers to the wall as well and, and have a good story to tell your buddies but we also want to do it in a safe manner and that hunter orange especially with the firearms uh it, it's key don't don't skimp out on that make sure you've got a really really nice visible hunter orange vest or jacket and yeah there's lots of some like more detailed info about this so make sure to look at the regulations for example i think there's like a square footage requirement or square inch requirement or something i don't know i'm not exactly sure what it is but that goes with everything so you know like there's deer limits in the state of ohio you can only take a certain amount of deer in the state a certain amount in each county kind of thing so make sure you look at that and that does change um and then i think one other thing that we might have uh, skipped through just a little bit is I think we talked about the rut, but not maybe not the timing wise of when that is. So that's really just for bow hunters because it's not in gun season. And I guess just like couples, you know, what what time of year is that, and why is that important? So this year we were fortunate enough to have a good chunk of the rut during gun season, which like you said, it's a rarity. Yeah. Um, usually late October, early November is when we see it or mid November. Um, ruts usually starting to calm down right about the time deer gun season's kicking off. Uh, but a lot of factors go into that. The phase of the moon, the average temperature outside, um, how cold has it been? How hot has it been? Are we seeing fluxes? Are we getting into Indian summer? So that stuff kind of changes, but usually right around Halloween and before thanksgiving is usually the time zone of when the rut is going to happen and the rut is the deer mating season it's that magical time in the woods where the bucks absolutely lose their minds chasing the does they forget half of their senses they let their guard down and the woods come to life all time of day i mean those are the days that you want to be out there from sunrise to sunset with the bow ready to rock and roll uh, in a good spot those are the days you definitely want to remember to bring your snacks. Yeah. Absolutely. Snacks and water, man. Absolutely. Well, I think that covers everything that we were, were planning to hit in this episode. I know there's a lot here. I mean, we skipped everything on tactics. We skipped over a lot of, of lot of items that, um, as you get into it will be helpful, but there's 
tons and tons of podcast books, all kinds of stuff, articles out there on this kind of thing. And you could spend years, you know, researching how to set cams and feeders and bait deer and track deer. And, um, and then on the, the pheasant side, you know, how to, how to train a dog. I mean, that's a lot of work, but very rewarding. Um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of information, but our, our goal here today was just to give you enough to get started and, and get going. If you're less familiar, or unfamiliar with hunting. We're always here, happy to help. If you have questions, feel free to reach out um, or, or go to your local you know, gun dealer if you plan to go the gun route or your local archery dealer if you're going to go that route. And they're always will be happy you know, to, to help you out and bring you along the way. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. Please do the usual rate, subscribe, comment, share with your friends. You know, if you've got a a friend of yours that's had interest in hunting and whether you know how to hunt or not, send them the podcast. Uh, I'm sure they'd, they'd love to hear it and kind of give them a, a good intro and feel free to reach out to hunters that you know, if you are wanting to get into it after you've heard this, like we mentioned earlier, hunters are just like most people, I think happy to help and mentor and, and get you into the sport and give you advice. They're not going to tell you where your where their secret little honey hole is, but they will help you out in in so many ways appreciate you guys tuning in and we will see you next time Mm